You know, on the subject of James Gandolfini, I would say that any woman out there who who thinks Tony Soprano is hot, who who whispers to her friends, you know, I think Tony Soprano is kind of hot. Any woman who thinks that, I would just recommend they watch Eight Millimeter. That was my introduction to James Gandolfini. I imagine that was a lot of people's introduction to him. And, you know, I did that episode about Sleepers a month or two ago, the movie, the movie slash book Sleepers, and how that was this strange movie my friends and I saw at a certain point, and it kind of preoccupied us for a little bit, especially a couple of my friends. One of them bought the book and everything, and how that was sort of this movie. It was like this this undercurrent of, like, dark sexual abuse. You know, you see that in movies, but it, it was rare, it felt like, as a kid to come across movies where that's pretty much the center of the entire movie. And then 8mm takes that to a whole other extreme, where the entire movie is underground porn, s and I mean, it's about, if you're not familiar, it's about Nicolas Cage. He's a private investigator who gets hired by an old lady. Her husband was some Richman. He was a Richman. And when he died, she opened up his vault and found a film reel. A film reel. A real film reel. And on that reel was this snuff film where a young woman gets killed by a guy in a leather mask. And the old woman hires Nicolas Cage to investigate whether it's a real video or not, whether this woman actually died. And so it's Nicolas Cage just investigating the story. He's going into all these underground porn basements. He's meeting all kinds of sleazy people just trying to figure out if this girl was actually murdered. And he tries checking out other snuff films to see if she appears in those two. Because if she appears in multiple snuff films, obviously they didn't really kill her. But, so yeah, Nicolas Cage has become this punchline. I mean, it's even, I feel like it's even old hat to mention the fact that Nicolas Cage is this punchline. He was always kind of a funny character growing up, but I didn't really see the need to turn him into this clown. I mean, he is a weird guy, and I haven't really... I don't, I don't investigate Nicolas Cage. I do a lot of investigating, but I haven't really investigated Nicolas Cage. I do know that he calls his method of acting nouveau shamanism, and I'm not kidding. He, he calls his own particular brand of acting nouveau shamanism. So, of course, that's going to make people laugh. It's going to make him seem strange or pretentious. But you know what? I don't know that he isn't a nouveau shaman. So, you know, yeah, it's kind of silly. He calls his acting method nouveau shamanism. But who am I to challenge that? But no, I, I understand why people have some fun. I'm not, I'm not saying don't don't have a little bit of fun with, with Nicolas Cage. Oh, Nicolas Cage is sacred to me. Don't you dare do that. But at the same time, like when people do the, you know, the whole meme. Like when people, oh, oh, my coworker was out of town, so we covered his entire cubicle with Nicolas Cage memes. Stupid, you know, don't do that. I would, I would, it would suck if somebody did that to me. Because those sorts of things like Nicolas Cage memes and things like that, they're the sort of thing that a coworker shares with you and you have to laugh, otherwise they'll, you'll, you'll pretty much out yourself as a sociopath at that exact moment. The second that you don't smile or laugh when your coworker shows you a Nicolas Cage meme, a Cage meme, the second you don't laugh is the moment that your coworkers realize you're a sociopath, when in reality, they're the sociopaths. Your coworker who saw that, oh, look at these people, they, they covered their coworker's entire desk in Nicolas Cage's face, ha <laughs> ha. You know, that person's the real sociopath. Oh, let's do it in our office. Let's do what they did in our office. That's, that person's the real sociopath, especially because they will suddenly not like you <laughs> if you don't laugh at a Nicolas Cage meme. Believe it or not, that's never happened to me. I'm just imagining this hypothetical scenario because I know that that happens all the time, and I've experienced not Nicolas Cage, but I've experienced other versions of that same thing. But no, I like Nicolas Cage. He's good enough. He was in some movies that I saw as a kid. And I, I, I genuinely enjoy 8mm. That's the thing. Even though it was kind of eye-opening as a kid, because I believe it was supposed to be NC-17, and if anything should qualify, I would think 8mm should. 
I mean, it's it's really a truly gritty movie, and but I I found it good. I, I enjoyed the the story. I mean, that's I don't know. I, th- I think it takes a certain something to be like, hey, let's make a mainstream movie with an actor who's at the peak of his career, because Nicolas Cage, I believe, was. You know, this is like right after Face Off and The Rock. He was definitely a, a headliner, and. You know, it it does take a certain somebody to be like, hey, let's make a story about an old lady who inherits a snuff film and forces a private investigator to track down the evil porno villains who made this woman die. I don't know. That's that's not something I would necessarily come up with as a a summer blockbuster. I don't actually know when it was released. I don't know. You know what? Lifeline. I'm going to use a lifeline for that. I am. I'm, I'm curious. Just give me a second here. Eight millimeter movie. That's what I'm typing in, just so you know. I think it's important that uh, I narrate what I'm doing when I use a lifeline. Oh, it's a it's a winter movie. February. It came out February twenty sixth, nineteen ninety nine. That makes sense. It is a winter movie. It's a gloomy, dark film. But my friend and I, we got really into that movie when it came out. I think part of it was that it was taboo. It was the exact kind of thing you shouldn't be watching if you're 12 or 13 years old. Uh, and, you know, we watched that and then, uh, I, I, you know, I, I enjoyed it. It wasn't one of those things where we watched it and it was like, it's so bad, it's good. I just genuinely enjoyed it. As far as a Hollywood movie goes, I think it did what it was supposed to do. And you know who agrees with us, I found out. Because this movie, what I have to say too, is it's been universally panned. Most people make fun of it. And I think a lot of that is because that's just, that's the unfortunate thing about the Nicolas Cage meme, the Cage meme, is that now people go back and, and rewatch old Nicolas Cage movies as a gag, what I would call a Cage gag, which actually that phrase out of context fits perfectly with 8mm. But as this kind of like Cage gag, people will go back and rewatch his old movies like they're all silly. But I'm with Roger Ebert. Because he liked 8mm. He gave it 3 out of 4 stars. The other day, my friend sent me a message, and he said, I'm going to rewatch 8mm. Which, that means something to me. That means something to me when an old friend goes out of their way to let you know. Because it is sort of an event, watching 8mm. I mean, the first time I ever saw it was, I think I mentioned on here before, when I was around that age... We ended up renting a room to this Puerto Rican guy from Florida who was going to Nintendo's college. If you didn't know, Nintendo has their own college. I don't know that it's officially a college, but it's Nintendo's school, and it's not a K-12 through school. They, tra- they train you how to make video games. And so this guy from Florida, he had stayed with some friends of our family a couple summers. So we got to know him. He would stay with them during the summer while he went to the camp because Nintendo had a camp as a precursor to Nintendo school. And so he would go to this camp where you just like, you learn the basics of designing video games. And so we got to know him and uh, he ended up renting a room from us for a while. He was a good guy. I think I told the story on here about how one day he decided to shave his legs and he was in the bathroom for easily four hours. And it was like a massacre. There was hair everywhere. And it was all, he said it was all because in high school, he wore shorts one day and a girl looked at his legs and and just was like, Pablo, Pablo, you know, so that stayed with him. (laughs) Hopefully she doesn't look at his social media follower count. If, If he had as many social media followers as he had leg hairs... He'd be, a, I think he'd just be, he'd have more women around him than leg hairs at that point. Stupid. Not very, you got to love the delivery on that joke. Um, but anyway, uh, he, he was, uh, he was with us and his friend from Florida was, was staying with us. And so we decided to rent a movie and we rented eight millimeter and I'd never seen it. It had just come out and we were watching it and keep in mind, these guys were a few years older than me. They were like three years older than me, I'd say. So they're young, but I'm a lot younger. And at one point, like there's a scene where there's a girl, like Nicolas Cage is, is surveying, surveilling, surveilling, uh, James Gandolfini's, and his name's Eddie Poole, 
James Gandolfini plays a porno producer, a very sleazy, evil porno villain named Eddie Poole, which is a great name for a porno villain, Eddie Poole. And two, James Gandolfini has a goatee and sideburns in this. But there's a scene where, like, Nicolas Cage is surveilling Eddie Poole's office, and he sees this girl, quote-unquote, auditioning. And she gets down on her knees, and then, like, she looks out the window, and then they close the blinds. And then Pablo, the dude who was staying with us, he's like, I I don't know if you should watch this. And he suddenly became aware of the fact that he's showing this movie to a kid, but it turns out I'd seen much worse. But anyway, so I saw 8mm, and, and uh, it turns out Robert Rod, Roger, never thought about the fact that Roger Ebert could just be shortened to Robert. But it turns out he liked it too. It turns out Roger Ebert liked it too. My friends and I liked it. And there's a scene in that too where Nicolas Cage, he finds this guy in an, it's some kind of basement underground porn swap meet. And there's a guy there, and he's he looks like Big Bird, but he's wearing this like almost like a one-piece bathing suit that women used to wear, where it's like a tank top with underwear built in, just like a, everybody knows what a one-piece bathing bathing suit is. But it's leather and it has straps, buckles. It's like a bondage bathing suit. It looks really stupid. In the same way that one-piece bathing suits look really stupid, especially on a man, this guy looks. As stupid as that, but worse because it's a bondage one-piece bathing suit. And he has he's really tall, a little bit like he has like an odd kind of like pear-shaped body, even though he's tall and lanky. Like he's got one of those, like when a tall, lanky guy has like a beer gut, he's got that look going on, this like long, blonde, stringy hair. And I think he has a German accent. And Nicolas Cage buys something from him. He buys some kind of porn from him. And the guy says, sickest shit you ever see. Sickest shit you ever see. But I, I believe it's in a German accent that I can't do. And ever since then, my friend and I, that's just, we use that. We say it all the time. Sickest shit you ever see. Not ever, ever. Sickest shit you ever see. So this movie obviously had an impact on me. And there's a scene near the end, I'm just going to ruin it. If you haven't seen 8mm now, you never will. But there's a scene near the end where he's finally, he's he's identified the bad guys. He knows that not only, not only are these the guys, I mean, these guys did it. These are the guys who killed that poor girl. He finds out that she ran off to Hollywood to try to be famous. She got sucked into the porn world. And then these producers killed her. They hired a man in a leather mask to kill her. And there's a scene near the end where James Gandolfini, Eddie Poole, is handcuffed inside an abandoned house, and Nicolas Cage is trying to muster up the courage to kill him. So he calls the girl's mom, and the girl who was in the snuff film, and he tells her that these men killed her daughter. She's dead. Up to that point, I don't think she knows that she's dead. And then he asks her, he asks the mom, like, how much did you love your daughter? Like, how much do you miss her? And it's a really moving scene. I feel like it brings me close to tears every time I've seen it, which is probably about probably three times. Probably seen eight millimeter three times. And so he's, he's saying like he's trying to muster up the courage to kill this bastard. And he's like, tell me how much you loved her. Tell me. And the mom's bawling. She's like, I loved her so much. And that's what gives him the drive to go just shoot this fucker in the head. And actually, I think he goes in and he just pistol whips him to death. It's... I mean, that's that's what I love about being a man is that that even just talking about it right now, I can feel my adrenaline kicking in. That is such a good scene. And every single time it's like I'm I'm right there with him. That gun is in my hand and I'm pistol whipping goateed James Gandolfini, too. You feel it, though, because it's like this mother's grief and her love and then Nicolas Cage uses his nouveau shamanism to channel that in order to do what he has to do, which is retaliate, revenge, get justice for this girl. But then the end, the reason why I feel like this movie was made for me is at the end, he finally tracks down the leather masked killer, the guy who they hired. He's basically a gimp. He wears a gimp mask and a leather vest. And he tracks this guy down. And of course, he's fat, bald, middle-aged, and he still lives with his mom. 
and his mom is totally clueless. She goes to church. And so he Nicolas Cage breaks into this guy's house. And of course, there's a Danzig poster on the wall. <laughs> he has a Danzig poster on the wall. And then he has a record player and it's playing. I keep wanting to say it's Electric Hellfire Club, but it actually might be Skinny Puppy. It's some sort of gothy industrial and he's playing the record. So he's and it keeps skipping because that adds tension to the scene. Nicolas Cage is searching the house for this guy. And there's this gothy industrial record. I, I, I want to say it's Skinny Puppy. Could be ministry. It's something. It's something in that ballpark. And the record keeps skipping and doing weird shit. And then he'll go in another room and then the record gets corrected again. Like the needle gets fixed. So it's like the guy is clearly in the house. It's a good scene. It's a good movie. Clearly, I like it. Clearly, I agree with uh, Roger Ebert, a.k.a. Robert. Three out of four stars. I would give it three out of four, too. I wouldn't say it's a four out of four. But when you think about the fact that I'm talking so enthusiastically about a movie and that I don't care about movies, shouldn't it be a four out of four for me? I think it's a four out of four. I'll raise Robert Ebert, <laughs> Roger Ebert one point and say four out of four here. But, you know, speaking of dark stuff, my friend sent me a message this morning, and it was a screen cap from one of those next-door websites, those neighbor websites that people have. I've never used one. Thank goodness. If I got on nextdoor.com, God forbid, because I'd start doing episodes about it. You've heard how, how much I've talked about social media lately. God forbid I get on nextdoor.com. But she sent me these, these screen caps from the local Nextdoor site. And apparently the cat killer is back. And I, I don't know that I talked about the cat killer on night school. I know that I did a school night TV episode about it. So I know that I've talked about it somewhere in the world of school night, night school. But yeah, about three or four years ago, around this time of year, in the middle of the summer, some guy started killing cats and leaving them very deliberately placed, staged, I think is what they call it. He would stage their bodies on a nearby lawn. In some cases, it was the lawn of somebody who, in some cases, it was the lawn where the cat lived. In some cases, I'm guessing it was a lawn just where he found the cat. But there was no blood, and there was a, a, always a surgical incision, I believe, where its uh, innards had been removed. But he had done cruel things to them, you know. It was, it was cruel. And, and, I mean, you don't have to be an an, animal lover. You don't have to, be a, have to be a cat lover to feel that. And being an animal lover and a cat lover, and this started in my neighborhood, at my old house, that I lived in for seven and a half years, it actually started right in that neighborhood. And I know one of the ladies who it happened to. I actually met this lady. Her cat was killed. It was an old blind cat. So it probably was easy for this person to, to catch it, but really horrific. And I believe that I saw the person. One night I was walking, before I'd ever heard of the cat killer, before it had hit the news, I was walking in my neighborhood and there was this church there and sometimes people would park there every once in a while you'd see somebody in a camper but there was this kind of creepy camper parked there it was this run down camper and I just noticed it you know I have a sixth sense I've talked about that cartoon boulder effect where it's like you can almost you'll see something that's otherwise mundane but it's almost like it's glowing or outlined saying notice this some this this is important something's going to happen involving this and so I see this very creepy camper. And what made it creepy wasn't just the fact that it was run down. They had built this custom platform on the back, quite big. Almost like, not a trailer, but just a platform that was built onto the back. And it was stacked with uh, shopping carts and just junk. Stuff that nobody would ever need. Shopping carts, just random. I, I wouldn't be able to remember what else, but it was just junk. But there were multiple shopping carts, something that nobody... I can tell you that if you're traveling around in a motorhome, you don't need a bunch of shopping carts to take wherever you go. At least I don't, I don't think so. I don't think you need that. But I noticed that first and foremost. And as I was looking at it, I was walking up to the corner, and then this guy came around the corner, and he was moving very erratically and shining a flashlight all over. And then he shined it right at me. And then he kept moving. 
and it was so strange. It just stood out to me, like the way that he shined the flashlight all over, but not like he was casing houses. It was like he was shining them by bushes. He was shining it like on next to the sidewalk. And then he just like flashed it at me in this really aggressive way that disturbed me. And the, the whole rest of my walk, I was really bothered by it. I found it really disturbing. And then about a week later, it came out that all of these cat killings were taking place. And I believe three or four of them, I think three initially, took place in my immediate neighborhood. And when they set up this tip line, I called in and I reported what I saw. And it took them like months to get back to me. But I did talk to one of the investigators and I just told them, hey, because it turned out this was happening. It had happened about an hour north of here. No, I think a couple hours north of here it had happened where somebody's cat was killed and displayed in the exact same way. And then they were doing it all over town. It started in my neighborhood, but they did it on the other end. Like there's a a town called Lacey, which is basically Olympia, but it's kind of, it has a worse reputation. And, you know, it's about 15 minutes from my house, I would say. And so it was happening over there. So this person was on the move and it would happen in clusters. Like wherever one happened, typically another happened nearby. And what was strange about it is there were no signs that the person did anything to the cats where the body was found. Like there were none of the organs were found. There was no blood. So clearly this wasn't happening on the street. So we figured this person had to be taking the cats either to a home or a camper or a motor home. And I, I truly believe that I saw the cat killer. And I believe that he was driving around and parking his camper in different places. And, you know, that's where he was doing it. It was convenient. But it was really fucked up. And there was a lot of dark stuff going on at that time, too, from what I remember. There was just a darkness in the air. And, you know, I don't know what it was like to live in New York when the Son of Sam shootings were happening. Obviously, I don't know what that's like. But it was that sort of vibe. And people were keeping their cats locked up. And when you'd see a cat out and about, you'd get worried. Like, I would see cats out and about, and I'd be like, you need to be locked up, which sucks. Like, people were keep, like people I know were keeping their cats locked up, and their cats were begging to get out because they were outdoor cats. But there was this prolific cat killer on the loose. And you can look this up. If you look up Olympia Cat Killer, you'll find articles about this from it was either 2017 or 2018. And uh, so people were scared for a good reason. And this person was doing it all over. But anyway, so my friend this morning sent me these next door posts where it's happening again, apparently. And rumor has it the the local newspaper is working on a story. And it's just like, ugh. Because the thing that really sucked about it, the really sad thing, is I go on a lot of walks and I see a lot of cats And if the cat's friendly and it comes up to me, I want to pet it. That's just who I am. I like to interact with cats. It's like one of the joys, honestly, of going on walks on a nice summer night is there are a lot of cats out. And if they're friendly, you got to, you know, you got to say hello to the cat. But I didn't feel comfortable approaching cats. I was like, I don't want somebody to see me petting a cat on the sidewalk and think I'm a cat killer. I don't want somebody to see me walking around in a neighborhood where the cat killer has already struck which was my neighborhood at the time, and to have them see me, like, luring a cat over. I just want to pet the cat, but it's just it's one of those unfortunate things where it's just like you, you don't even feel comfortable interacting with cats because of it. But the fact that apparently it's happening again, they never caught the guy. And then the thing is, too, is like there's a, like... Because cats were found missing their heads. And then, of course, the reality, too, is that some cats die from coyotes. Some cats get hit by cars. So there were cats that were dying naturally, but you didn't really know. So in some cases, it was like, oh, another cat was found today. But then it it turned out they're like, well, it looks like it was eaten by coyotes. It looks like it was killed by coyotes. So it's just there's that aspect of it, too. But the fact that it's happening again, I'm just like, oh, man. And it was a weird time, too, because right during the height of these cat killings a few years ago, this woman was found dead in one of the neighborhoods where it was happening. She was found dead on the sidewalk, and it became highly politicized. You know, she she apparently died in the middle of the night, and the police said she died of, if not natural causes, like something, like nobody else caused it is what the police said. They believe, I mean, she had a history of 
heavy substance abuse. And she, I don't, I don't know. The, the, the police investigated and said there was no cause for concern, that it was just she went out in the middle of the night, and I, I don't know what happened. But it quickly became politicized because she was a black woman, and the issue became quickly politicized to where all of the activist types in town said that she was murdered and the police were covering it up because they didn't care that a black woman was killed. I don't know the details. You know, I was disturbed because the cat killings were going on, and I think that created a level of paranoia. Where I've heard people say, I've actually heard people say that this woman's body was staged in the same way the cat's bodies were. I don't know if that's true or not. I know that she was on a sidewalk. Apparently her underwear was pulled down, but they didn't find evidence of of uh, rape or, or sexual uh, abuse. I, I think what I heard, I don't know if this is true, what I heard is that the police basically said, like, we think that she was, like, on something and went outside and tried to go to the bathroom and fell. And I don't know if she hit her head. I don't, I don't know what, but the activists in town were very fired up and still are. You still see flyers about it. It's justice for Yvonne. And, you know, a poor woman died. I don't know how. I don't know why. I'm not saying it wasn't something nefarious. I'm not saying it was. I truly have no idea. But the what I'd call conspiracy theories started immediately. Within a day of her death, you already had activists saying that the police were covering up a murder because they didn't care about a black woman. I don't buy that story at all. I don't buy that. I'm not saying there wasn't some police misconduct. I'm not saying they did or didn't handle the investigation correctly. I do have a difficult time believing that the Olympia Police Department got together and said, just a black woman. Eh, let's not worry people. I just, I have a hard time believing that conversation or some variation took place. I just, I have a difficult time believing it. But some people took that idea and ran with it, and they're still running with it. It still comes up. But it was a dark time, because what I'm talking about here is that a woman died, and she was found dead on the street in the same neighborhood, or the same general neighborhood, the same part of town. It wasn't like it was on a street where a cat had been killed that I know of, but it was just, that was on people's minds. Because somebody was out killing cats, because even before this woman was found, people were saying, God, I hope they don't suddenly start killing humans. But you can see where other conspiracy theories come up. Like, I know this couple who was always involved in drama, always causing issues, and they actually started a rumor about a guy that he might be the cat killer because they hated him. They started a rumor about him, and they were like, you know, it might have been him. And there was no basis for that, and it's a vicious, nasty rumor to spread about somebody. And it got back to him, I found out. And it turns out he didn't even live in the neighborhood anymore. I mean, that's like saying I did it. Like, I lived in that neighborhood, too. And I have the ultimate cover story, which is that I love cats to death. But still, it's just, it, what a, you see where things get nasty. People make up rumors about somebody being the cat killer. What a nasty thing to do. Whether you love or hate the guy. Just to spread that rumor is really nasty, but that's probably not the only rumor. You know what I mean? That's probably not the only rumor that was being spread. There are probably other people spreading rumors about people they know. So you can see where just people start to get very paranoid. I was paranoid. As someone who goes on a lot of walks at night, I was very paranoid. My cat, was I, Rosie was still alive at that point, and she stayed indoors. But even then, you know what? I was a little worried then. I was like, you know, I'm a little concerned if Rosie's sitting in the window. Not that the window's open, but I just, we don't, you know, if somebody's going out there kidnapping cats, they've already broken some, some major boundaries. That person's more than capable of going inside someone's house to get a cat. They're more than capable of hurting a human being, which is why it's not insane to me that people made the connection, oh, someone's going around killing animals. It wouldn't surprise me if they killed this lady. But I just don't know that there was any concrete evidence of murder. 
I don't know. I, I truly don't know, but it was politicized. It, it fit a certain narrative that people have, which is that police don't care about black people. And we, I mean, we can see where that's a mainstream political movement today. And, you know, so this was a part of that. This was, this was uh, bundled in with that. And I wouldn't be able to tell you, you know, that's the thing is that that's, that's what's funny about the politicization of a tragedy or a dark event is that if somebody says, well, I think that she was murdered and the police covered it up because they don't care about a black woman. And if I were to say in response to that, eh, you know, I don't know what happened. I'm not going to pick a side, but I'm not sure I buy that. You suddenly become the enemy to that person. Those are the sorts of things you have to tread very carefully on in our climate, especially in a town like this. And that's unfortunate because, you know, I'm not looking to have an opinion one, one way or the other. If there's evidence of police misconduct, that needs to be addressed. If there's evidence of murder, that needs to be addressed. And if these activists are on the money, good for them. If there is something about this, this uh, death that needs further investigation or clarification, I'm glad people are on it. But I myself haven't seen much, if anything. And that politicization is interesting because a while before that, I still think about this sometimes. I feel like this was sort of a precursor to what everybody's talking about today. But years back, I, you know, I, the, the woods at the Evergreen State College are some of the best. They truly have some of the best trails. It's one of the most beautiful places in this city the Evergreen State College, not the campus, but like the woods, because they own all this acreage with all these trails that go down to the beach. And I go there all the time. I spend a lot of time in the Evergreen Woods. When I was running, I would go there to run a lot of hills. It's a great place to go. And there was one day where I was going there. And as I'm entering the trail, there is a, uh, like a, not a wanted poster, like a warning, or, you know, a police report. And it has a police sketch of a man, wearing a do-rag, not white, dark skin, little mustache. And I look at it, and it said, on such and such a day, you know, probably a couple weeks before this, you know, this probably happened a couple weeks before I saw this, it said, a man was raped in these woods. It said, a man was raped, and then it described the perpetrator. Yeah, guy, he was wearing a do-rag, work boots, he was either mixed race, Latino, he had dark skin. And they had a police sketch of him. And it, But it specifically said that a man was raped in the woods. And I just, I spent a lot of time in those woods and I couldn't believe it. I was like a man, you know, every once in a blue moon, you'll hear about rapes on campus. When I was going to Evergreen, a guy broke into a girl's first floor dorm wearing a ski mask, holding a gun and... I don't know what happened from there, but I know that it was a rape. And so you hear about stuff like that. And, you know, I, I have heard about other attacks in the woods around here. It's not common, but it does happen. But I was just shocked that this wasn't huge news. Because, I mean, the important thing, the important detail is that somebody got raped in the woods. Somebody got raped in the morning while walking at the Evergreen Woods. And so I decided to dig in and like find more information on it because I'm like, do I need to worry? Like the most important thing isn't like who got raped. It's the fact that there's a rapist on the loose. But it means something entirely different for a man to rape a man in the woods versus a man raping a woman. I don't care like what the priority, like I said, is a rapist is on the loose and a person got raped. I understand that is number one. But if you... If you're a man, you want to know, did somebody rape a man in these woods? Because that becomes a whole different story. And so I decided to do a little digging, and I found an earlier report. I found the initial reports about it, and the initial reports were almost identical. The rapist was described identically to the report that I saw. Everything about the, the situation was described identically, except in the first report, it said a trans man was raped. And I said, oh, 
That's an important detail. That is an important detail. And somebody would say it's not. But like I already said, first and foremost, somebody raped somebody. Somebody raped a person. That is the most important thing. But once you get past that, you want to know details. I'm a detective. Not really. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a fake detective. But no, my mind works like a detective. And in this case, I want to know because I spend a lot of time there and I'm a man. Either way, from now on, I'm going to be looking out for rapists. But I want to know, do I need to be looking out for a rapist who might potentially come for me? Or am I going to be looking for a rapist who might be targeting women or people that he thinks are women? Those are important distinctions. And so you can see where there was this sort of politicization of the police report where I would guess, I don't know how this played out, but their initial report said that a trans male, which would mean somebody who was born a biological female and transitioned into being a man or who identifies as being a man, the initial police report said that they were raped. But at that time, I wasn't even sure what the language was. Like at that time, I wasn't familiar enough with all of the language that is commonplace now to know whether a trans man... Does that mean somebody who was born a woman who became a man? Or does that mean a woman or, uh, or does that mean a man who became a woman? At that time, I didn't really know. Now I know what that refers to. But so there's confusion even in that. And then I can imagine, you know, and I have to assume this happened. Otherwise, I don't think they would have changed it. But a conversation must have taken place where the police department and this is the Evergreen has its own little police department that works exclusively with the school and somebody must have come to them whether it was the victim or somebody else and said you know that is uh, disrespectful to to write trans male because they identify as a man so the police report was changed to say that a man was raped by a man I don't know I think those details are important I mean it's like Ted Bundy targeting women with brunette hair a certain type of woman you want to know what the the criminal was looking for. And so in this case, I would ask, you know, the police, the police department should be respectful to this victim. It doesn't matter how you feel about that issue. It doesn't matter what your take is on that issue. Somebody had something horrible happen to them. They're already traumatized. You want to be as respectful as possible but it's also an important detail just on an objective level, on a safety level, on an investigative level to know, did the rapist see this person and believe it was a woman? Did they see a feminine body type? Did they see somebody who was small? Those are important details. And as a matter of safety, I feel that that should be known. People should know what to look out for. But you can see where the politicization, and there are people who would say that's not politics. But we know it is. No matter how you feel about it, there is an under, there, there's a political undercurrent to that. And I just felt as a matter of I don't know, just as a matter of record, people should have an idea of who is being targeted. Like if another trans male was raped after that, it seems like there'd be a pattern there. And obviously, that's for the cops to know first and foremost. But if I were a trans male, and there was somebody targeting trans males, people who are born women and are now men, it seems like you would want to know that especially. And you want to know who the person targeted. Because it, it apparently happened very early in the morning, and those woods are very dark. But if the rapist saw somebody and saw the outline of a woman, if they saw what they believed to be a woman, I, I just feel like that's important data. But nothing really came up about it. It kind of came and went. The whole situation honestly felt brushed under the rug. 
It seems like that should be major news everybody is talking about in town. Nobody heard about it. I wouldn't have known about it if I didn't find that report and then do some digging and find that there was a newspaper article about it, but nobody talked about it. And the people I told were shocked because a rape is a rape is a big story in this town. Not a lot happens in this town. And so a rape at the Evergreen State College in the woods, it's pretty big news, but nobody heard about it. It really felt like the story was, you know, this is me getting conspiratorial. See, see, this is how easy it is. Where I was like, oh, because there was a certain vagueness to a woman's murder or to a woman's death, some people immediately jumped to it being police misconduct, some sort of racial agenda from the police. You know, you can see where I'm almost jumping into that right here by being like, why didn't I hear about this story? And people do that all the time. It's it's really a disgusting thing to do. So I need to back away from that way of thinking. It's what happens when people of a certain political slant hear something in the news that confirms their bias. And they say, why am I not hearing about this? Well, sometimes things are suppressed. It did feel to me at the time like this story was suppressed. For what reasons, you can make your own guesses. But it felt like the story was suppressed. And then you add in this weird angle where the initial report said a trans male was assaulted. Second report said a man was assaulted. And I, I hate to get graphic, but you kind of you kind of want to know what the victim had. If somebody's been sexually assaulted, you kind of know want to know, like, what the victim's genitalia was. And I can tell you, when I found out that it was a trans male who was attacked, not a male, I didn't feel any relief. I didn't go, oh, I don't have to worry. I didn't say, oh, good, it was a woman. Oh, good, it was somebody who used to be a woman. That means as a man, nobody's going to try to rape me in the woods. I'm off. I'm free. I didn't feel that at all. My concerns didn't change. But my concern did change from, is somebody going to be breathing down my neck? Do I have to be looking behind me throughout my entire walk? My run? It changed from that to, well, I need to keep an eye out for other people. Because I don't think that I'm going to be targeted if this person comes back. So that was just a politicization of a sexual assault. And a lot of people would say, oh, that, that detail is unimportant. Whether they were a trans male or just a, a biological male, it's not important. Because someone was assaulted. And I would agree that first and foremost, that takes precedent. The fact is that somebody assaulted somebody. I agree. But if you actually want to, I don't know, if you actually want to get to the bottom of the situation, if you want to increase public awareness, if you want to solve the crime, I feel like, or prevent another one, I think you need as many details as possible. Which is why, I mean, you know, I'm very familiar with the East Area Rapist case. And in that case they initially said he's only attacking women who live alone. And that was in the newspaper. And then they changed it to, oh, he's, he suddenly started attacking couples. And they spread that. Whether it's good to give all the details or not, you know, there's pros and cons to giving information. But if couples are being targeted, or if there's a certain type of person who's being targeted, I feel like that needs to be addressed. And it shouldn't get lost in some sort of political conversation. But we can see where everything is affected by that. And that was years ago. That was 2016. And now it's even more so. Now there's less of a conversation. And at no point am I out to tell anybody what to do or what to call themselves. At no point do I care about that in this. What I care about are just, we need to know the relevant details. But it, it, it was dark. 
I mean, it cast a certain dark shade over Evergreen's woods for a while for me. And then you forget about it. You know, it's one of those things where one day you just forget that this bad thing happened here and you stop looking for it. Unless you're me, unless you're as paranoid as I am, and then, and then you're just looking for it forever. You forget about that. That event just melts into your normal everyday paranoia and you're looking over your shoulder for nothing in particular. That's me. Just melts into the normal paranoia. But yeah, that, that politicization of tragedies, though, I don't know. I don't know what to say about it. It shuts down the conversation. It limits the conversation. And I don't think it's mean-spirited to ask questions, especially involving a crime of that nature. But uh, we'll see what happens to this cat killer. I hope they catch him this time. I truly do. And I'm going to keep an eye out for that RV. Because again, you know, I already have everyday paranoia to begin with. Hypervigilance. I consider it hypervigilance, not quite paranoia. But I already have that to begin with. And now I'm going to be looking for that camper. Because I can tell you, after I first saw that camper, heard about the cat killer, and then connected the dots, I spent that entire summer, every single RV that drove by, I was giving it a double look. I was, if an RV would drive by me that looked kind of beat up, I would look at the back of it after it passed to see if it had that weird platform on the back covered in shopping carts. And I actually did find another RV that had a weird platform like that. It doesn't seem like it's something that would be built on. It seems custom. It's so awkward and weird. It's not like a bike rack. It's not like a trailer. It's just like this weird extended platform that goes off the back. But I did end up finding another camper that had that, another RV that had that, but it wasn't the same one. It definitely wasn't the same. But I'll, I'll be keeping my eye out this time. You know, if that camper comes back, if I see it, well, it's definitely going to set off my alarm bells. And it, it, But it seems oddly perfect, too. You know, I feel like I already said this recently, but, you know, a couple of weeks ago, there was this openness and this freedom in the air. Like I was seeing beautiful, scantily clad women everywhere. And I'm still seeing some of that, but everybody just seemed so happy to be out. Everybody seemed very connected. And I have to admit, like the last few times that I've gone on walks through town, I don't feel it anymore. It's, it feels like the other shoe is dropped. There's kind of a dark cloud over people right now. It seems like people thought they escaped that and then it's back. And that might not apply to everybody. It definitely applies to some people I know. It applies to me. And then now that this cat killer is possibly back, I'm just like, oh, of course. Of course, the first summer, everybody taking their masks off, everybody acting normal again, getting together, of course, that is coupled with something evil, horrible, and nasty. I just hope that he's sloppier this time and that they do track him down. And I do wonder if my tip is filed away somewhere. I mean, they took it seriously. They asked a bunch of questions, which I couldn't answer. Like, what model of RV is it? I have no idea. You know, but I, I do hope that's in their notes somewhere. Because that seemed like a good theory to me. Given that these were happening all over, and one of them even happened a ways away, up the highway, it would make complete sense that this person has a mobile vehicle, a mobile home, a place that they can go and a vehicle that they can bring to any neighborhood and park on the side of the street. You know, that's just something about that just clicked. And the fact that when I saw that RV and I saw that weird guy with the flashlight and the way that he was shining the flashlight, what was he looking for? What would be around the bushes and, and the sides of the street? Cats. And the way that he shined it at me was very erratic, but there was something aggressive about it. Like he didn't need to. Like he already knew there was a person up ahead. 
But he shined the flashlight at me just as sort of an aggressive move. And then erratically walked away. And then, well, not just that, but then walked to the RV. I forgot to mention that, that the person who was shining the flashlight was the person who had the RV. I saw them go to the RV. So I know that those two things were connected. And I just, I, it's far too much of a coincidence that a bunch of cat killings happened in that neighborhood. And then they started happening in other neighborhoods when the RV left my neighborhood. Now, it does put a dark cloud over the town. You know, summer's already <laughs> almost over, which is insane. And I'm just trying to endure. I was feeling really good a couple of weeks ago. I was feeling the summer energy. And now all of a sudden, I feel like I'm just in this endurance test. There's all kinds of things firing off. I feel like all kinds of things are just wearing on me. Not even big things, but enough. I've, I've done enough diary entry episodes lately, so enough of that. I'll keep you updated. We'll see what unfolds. I mean, it's horrifying, but it's also interesting, which describes a lot of what I talk about. And I don't know. It's it's one of those things where you can't... I mean, I, I even went out a couple times hoping to come across him when it was going on that other summer. Like, I was secretly kind of hoping that I would see something, that I would somehow be in the right place at the right time. Yeah, I'm thinking that was 2008. It was, yeah, it was 2018 for sure, because I remember I was meditating at that point. And I started meditating in mid 2018 because I, I do recall being in my old house meditating and thinking about the cat killer. And, uh, it's an interesting thing to meditate on. This land is mine. God gave this land to me. This brave, this golden land to me And 